Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Around the Coin. Today, I interviewed two people from FQX. FQX has raised $7 million and is creating e-notes, effectively a better, faster, easier way to send money. We discuss the details of what they're doing and what they hope to achieve. The two people I interviewed were the co-CEO, Stefan Mayer, and the CTO, Danielle uh, Kinnenberger. We had a very technical conversation, and we also painted a picture for what the world is going to look like in the future. Uh, I really appreciated having two people on the show. It was an interesting perspective between the business aspect, uh, with Danielle having a background in the uh, technical computer science background, and Stefan having a background in law and blockchain law education. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. If you do, please share the episode. It really helps us grow and attract new, fantastic guests. So without further ado, I bring you Stefan and Danielle. All right, Stefan, Danielle, I'm excited to dive in with you both. Um, Let's kick it off by just talking about your project, talking about the company you guys are building now. Um, I'll throw that to uh, uh, Stefan. Why don't you describe high level and then we can go into more detail. Yeah, thanks a lot, Mike. It's uh, great to be here. Um, I'm Stefan. I'm co-founder and co-CEO at uh, FQX. At FQX, we're building a debt infrastructure by using e-notes. An e-note is an unconditional promise to pay. And uh, it's a B2B solution, which can be integrated into any other financing uh, platform. So we consider us as the PayPal for e-notes. And um, the e-notes can then either be stored on uh, DLT systems. So at the beginning, we started with Hyperledger Fabric. And uh, now we're just moving also to uh, public permissionless DLTs. Daniel can afterwards explain a bit in more detail which one we chose. And on the other side, uh, we're also connected to uh, the more traditional financial market infrastructures, so-called central securities depositories. And uh, I think the core of what we do is we we connect borrowers to institutional lenders by our standardized e-note instruments. And would this be, in when you say a replacement to PayPal, do you think of it as a replacement to the concept of a direct transaction like me paying you for a services or like you said most recently and you said uh this is a borrower and lender Mm -hmm. is it both together is one weighted especially so Mm -hmm. so um we have 
as our clients' uh, financing platforms, for example, one of the, the leading European money market platforms, also crypto trading platforms, and uh, they already have quite a lot of transactions. And at the moment, or so far, in the, the policy was purely contractual based. So you had parties agreeing on a transaction, and at the end, uh, they concluded a contract. And what we provide is an integrable e-note engine, allowing the parties to securitize the claims. So what we create are then uh, electronic uh, securities, which are easily transferable then from uh, to the investor and from the investor also to, to other parties. And uh, as a user, you can then choose whether your sec electronic security should be uh, recorded on a DLT or as said uh, in a more traditional financial market infrastructure. We also have, um, for example, the Swiss Stock Exchange uh, as one of our investors. So therefore, we we have the, the angle also to this world. Um, however, our main focus is also to um, ensure that uh, all the legal requirements in regard to the securitization is fulfilled. And inter interestingly, uh, we have uh, almost a third of our team are lawyers. So it is highlights uh, how how big uh, also the legal angle in our team is. Wow, wow. W tell me what a DLT is mm. first. Um, so it's, we're using, uh, as said, we started with Hyperledger Fabric as a private permission DLT. Um, we are a B2B solution, which is used also by listed companies, by banks. So therefore we opted at the beginning for a private closed environment, which we call this a banking grade uh, system. Um, now, however, we also see a major push towards uh, open systems and the users, as you can imagine, they want to be able to directly control and, uh, and also possess the electronic uh, e-notes. And therefore, you're now supporting uh, Solana in the first version. So uh, as a first uh, open DLT step, we bring our e-notes into uh, on, on the Solana DLT. Got, and DLT being distributed le ledger technology. Um, Daniel... When you think of e-notes, is an e-note, how does an e-note relate to a smart contract? Is an e-note a branded smart contract that is off the shelf ready to use for consumers? Uh, I wouldn't say it's an off the shelf smart contract. Uh, we're currently implementing it in uh, uh, Solana, as Stefan said. And, and there we are... Um, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, the Solana to um, token infrastructure, but there we're taking in like yeah, yeah, start from start from the simple version and then go deep. <laughs> so we are um, using kind of the token standard that uh, the um, Solana token library basically provides, um, but similar to like NFTs, like um, that Metaplex do, which is um, like a metadata standard. <clears throat> um, I think ba uh, basically similar to how ERC20 also uh, describes its metadata, Metaplex does similar thing on, on Solana. Um, we're kind of um, modifying that standard into uh, having static metadata, but also ha um, but also having like a, 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 a state manager as well that reads from that metadata. So for example, that metadata would describe the e-note itself, so the unconditional promise to pay. So in there it would say that I'm the issuer, Stefan's the, the recipient, and uh, I owe him 100K USDC. 
and uh, the program will be able to read from that metadata and, and uh, this will then allow for example for automatic settlement of such a such a promise to pay later on so um but the token ownership basically is just a standard um token program on solana um just the metadata and how we issue and manage those tokens um is at the moment proprietary but we'll then uh, open source it later on and uh uh, also make it available for for the public as well. So nice, nice. And the metadata. What would be an example of static metadata that would you'd use? Is this like scraping the? Do you think of it as the integration with the traditional banking system? Where you're able to scrape or somehow receive the evidence of the transaction and then record it on chain or or well, the metadata can be many things. Uh, the, the the metadata. I mean, metadata is. Is a, it could mean anything. In the metadata, it, it, uh, it's really also just describing what the mint means. So a mint is like, for example, USDC is a mint. It describes how many there are. Um, and also um, in Solana, you then have token accounts um, describing who owns how many. Um, but the metadata describes the pro- the properties of the token. So in, like, for example, in the Metaplex case, when you have an NFT, you would describe with a URI which which picture, for example, you you own, right? Um, now, in our case, the metadata describes the actual promise to pay. So there, we have a public key representing a company, and uh, and we have a denomination in a in another mint or in a in a symbol like US dollars, um, and that metadata just contains the actual promise to pay as well as some state um, state data. Um, to be able to manage um, the yeah the life cycle of a promise uh, an electronic promissory note as such. Yeah. What is state data? Right. What's an example of state data? Yeah, so um, so the eNote goes through a life cycle, and um, we have to first um, imagine it's when you first start off and you issue it to to an owner, it will be just issued and will be open, open to transfer, open um, open to do anything. Um, but at some point it might be due. So um, if the um, the due date has been reached, at that point it will be due. So um, it cannot be transferred further. Uh, it has to be settled now legally. So if you haven't you haven't had a proof of settlement at this point, um, you would be uh, you can be um, yeah you can legally enforce now this uh, this promise to pay. And then it can be overdue, but of course it can also be settled. So when you promise, and when you, when you promise to pay, and we saw on chain um, either that you settle with the provided mint, so for example USDC, or some sort of um, settlement authority. So if it's a payment that is off chain, for example, um, confirms like an oracle um, that the payment has been done, then it would also change the state to be settled. So the entire cycle and uh, like uh, is on chain. Um, so also when you go to a court of law, you can say, oh, all right, we have uh, proof to say that this has been settled now. I see. I see. Mm-hmm. Got it. And it, how is the integration with the off-chain world being handled? Is that uh, a big part of what you're building, technically speaking? Or it, I imagine this probably parlays somehow into the investment by the stock exchange. But yeah, I'm curious. There's a couple angles here. Um so, so Stefan um, touched already that we're kind of looking to uh, issue in different domains. One domain would be the, the direct into CSD. And that's uh, just a central security depository. And uh, 
that's just a regular, or with an asterisk, a regular old banking infrastructure um, where the e node's being emitted to. So that's, from our perspective, it's not on-chain, even though with the Swiss Stock Exchange, it will be on a chain, but that's, mm-hmm. yeah, um, mm-hmm. another detail. Um, uh, but there might be, for example, we're, we're building it in a way where you can modularly define uh, if you want to settle it with either an on-chain mint, so ex- again, USDC or whatever, or Bitcoin, wrapped Ether, whatever it wants, whatever it wants to be. And uh, but you could also, for example, instead define a settlement authority, and that is now up to the issuer um, and also the first recipient um, what they want to define. And in this case, it could be that uh, us at F- as FQX could be the settlement authority allowing for the customer to basically settle through a normal bank transfer into some sort of escrow where we see the transactions happened. And then we would confirm that the payment has been done. And then uh, then through the, the kind of legal constellation, if we don't do our job, they could obviously go uh, and force uh, legal claims against us or if it's not been paid against, uh, against the issuer. And, and I imagine... So in- oh, go, go for it, go for it. And- so, so to, to add in in this regard on a on a higher level, so what we focus on is the life cycle of the e notes, starting from the issuance, and then usually before the issuance, you have the negotiation, um, the ne- negotiation between the parties, and this usually happens then on a third party system. And then as soon as the parties agree to a specific financing transaction, then we receive to our standard API the transaction data. We then pre-generate this e-note draft and then the parties come over to our checkout uh, signing UI and then they see the pre-generated uh, electronic uh, promissory note with all the, the contracts attached to it and then they issue and sign the instrument. And then from this moment on, we cover the, the life cycle, including uh, um, settlement of the instrument, including reporting, um, also potential uh, OTC transfers until the, the maturity of the instrument and then on maturity, you either mark it as uh, settled, or if necessary, you can uh, go and enforce the instrument. And then in, in regard to your question of uh, integration, so what Daniel said is, uh, obviously, this instrument also has to be paid. So at the beginning and then on maturity. And for this, we provide uh, either um, DLT-based settlements. So you can use in, uh, you can settle it in, for example, uh, USDC, or uh, we support uh, fiat-based um, methods. And for this, uh, we're um, initiated a collaboration with a global payment service provider. And then it's a so-called trigger-based DVP, meaning that the party sends uh, money to a specific clearing account. We received then a message, uh, the e-note has been paid. And then afterwards, the e-note is marked as settled. Or in case of a transfer, the instrument is then transferred to the other party. Then as a, as a last point, something which is also obviously important is uh, connectivity to um, accounting systems, to so-called ERP systems uh, of customers so that they are able to um, register the instruments uh, where necessary. And here uh, we've been working on a, on a connectivity to SAP so that you can then, uh, for example, even directly out of SAP uh, generate the instruments. And then we, we take the data from SAP, we again create the e-note drafts, and then you can just come over, sign and issue the, the instrument. Are, are you using the word instrument and e-note? Uh, uh, by, are they the same thing in your mind? 
Yes, yes, uh, that's so. Uh, I, I, I guess an instrument. You know the instrument, yes. So yeah. it's, uh, it's uh, but that's that's uh, actually also very a very good question. So what is the E note? So the E note is on the one side a financing instrument. So if I need need a liquidity as a corporation, so I can then issue and uh, sell you an E note. So you're paying me then a, a purchase price. So it has a, a financing uh, character, and on the other side, it's also a payment instrument. So I can use a promissory note in order to pay something. For example, an invoice you uh, send. So a buyer can pay the invoice of its supplier by using uh, such an e-note. And then the invoice, the claim is fulfilled. And the supplier can then take the instrument and directly uh, further transfer it uh, to an investor. So in those constellations, it can uh, be used in a kind of factoring scenarios as a first payment and then after financing instrument. Okay. So can I walk through an example and you tell me if this is a, a correct way to understand it? So <clears throat> if you're you're running a business and I have a business or just individuals, I'd imagine the same mm-hmm. way, uh, you want me to pay you for services that you are doing now, but you have a certain date that you're expecting the money to be paid. So say on the 30th of this month, you're doing this work, you're doing, you're digging a hole in my backyard mm-hmm. and then you finish. Yes. And on that date, you want the money to convert without having, and, and this is something, sorry, this is something I would have had agreed to initially. You sent the e-note, I, I, I thumbs up, right? I, I probably authorized it with a, a wallet on my site or, or, or a verified user account. And then you, you get to the end and then money is requested from me. Uh, I get notified. And if I don't pay, it's effectively a contract. Do you, I, I still struggle a little bit with how it's different than a, it's uh-huh. a smart, co- is it a branded smart contract is how you think of it? Mm, so, so maybe first from a, from a conceptual perspective in, in this uh, scenario, in this supply chain finance scenario, what usually happens is you have a buyer and a supplier. The, the supplier delivers some goods to the buyer. So let's say new computers. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the supplier is issuing an invoice to the buyer and the invoice might be due in 30 or, or 60 days. And then uh, what the buyer can do uh, is uh, they, he can agree with the supplier that he issues such an unconditional promise to pay an e-note. And then the e-note is already at the beginning transferred to the supplier. And then the supplier can take the e-note and he has, does not have to wait 30 or 60 days. He can take the instrument and directly sell it to an investor. Mm. So this, in, in this scenario, the supplier then does not have to wait um, until the money is paid. He can directly um, liquidate it and, uh, and receives the, the liquidity. And then as an investor holding this unconditional promise to pay, you have all the related uh, advantages. It's unconditional, the, the uh, promise to pay. So you do not have to care about any um, underlying trade relations. Uh, you can easily transfer it to another party. Um, you might even have an ISIN number. It could even be in a traditional financial market infrastructures. So uh, you can now check your uh, or take your regulatory checkboxes. So and it fulfills all the, the relevant requirements. I'm I think it's really... Um, it's, yeah, please, Daniel. I think it's really good to think about. It's almost as, um, It's almost as close to money as you can get with a financial instrument. So it's really... Um, it's basically just money that comes in later, right? So instead of paying with cash now, I can pay with this promise um, that I'll pay in 30 days. And uh, you can sell that promise on to somebody else. 
so they will get the money from me uh and yeah to, so it, it, and you what you're saying is right it is a smart contract some of the the difference is that it has a legal background so um because it's completely uncollateralized uh, you have to be able to legally enforce it um so it is really just a legal promise to pay so there's no on-chain collateral or anything like that mm-hmm. um we we have a legal constellation where um having it on chain you can then go to a court and, and almost anywhere in the world you'll be able to legally enforce it okay i'm with you i i think this is a great idea if i'm an investor and somebody wants to give me a e-note and they say hey take this it's uh fully it's uncollateralized, but it's something you can use in the court of law. It's a promissory note. It's on chain. I trust the, the, the technology of blockchain. One of the things that m- would go through my head would be, oh, God, it's such a pain in the ass to enforce, to go through legal proceedings. It's expensive. It's time consuming. It's mentally draining. Um, is, there a, is there a back-end process that you guys have built that like just expedites this whole thing if, if it does have to go that case? That's that's a very very good question. Um, however, what we implemented from a legal perspective is an uh, arbitration model. So instead of uh, the need to go to a state court, you go to an arbitrator, um, and uh, it's then a, a very efficient, uh, time and cost efficient uh, procedure. And this arbitrator then uh, issues you an arbitral award. And this usually also takes place quite uh, quickly because it's an unconditional promise to pay. It's a very binary. Either it has been paid or not. And then with this title, um, there is a respective New York convention on the so-called uh, recognition and uh, enforcement of arbitral awards. And this has been ratified in, in the meanwhile, 167 countries meaning that in 167 countries this qualify or this has the same weight as a state uh, court decision and you can then easily locally enforce this title so therefore um what we intended to build is an enforcement mechanism which is uh, simple and easy and which also st- is standardized globally so that you have the same procedure to enforce our e-note, be it in Europe, be it in the US, be it somewhere in Africa, so that you can really use this same the, this uh, same instrument on a global scale. Um, on the other side, your question regarding whether we can automate uh, the enforcement technically, yes, of course you could, but then you might need collateral. And this is what parties usually want to avoid in a debt constellation. So this e-note is a debt instrument and the whole purpose of debt is that you have a free availability of the funds you receive because you have to f- for finance whatever you need. And therefore, we replace the collateral with the legal trust um, in our instrument. Right, right. But we, are gonna, we, we are going to build around the service to make that as easy as possible but that's an off-chain service so you right. would yeah, well yeah, yeah, yeah so we'll build we'll uh yeah we have partially built and we'll build more uh to make that as easy as possible for the customer to legally enforce uh yeah that's a very good point and and ultimately it does it does rely on governments to some extent right because these are the organizations that enforce contracts legally you know the 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 capability and the efficiency of the government that you're in, the, the country and maybe the locally, the state or the municipality, the, uh, the the efficiency and integrity of that system matters, right? So if I'm doing, I mean, India has a reputation for having a less efficient and less um, 
you know, corruption is a, is a concept is it gets thrown around. So is there a rating system that you think about when you sort of assess the capability of the governments to enforce off chain mm -hmm. collections? Yes. Um, so the, the, there is actually um, a comparison of different jurisdictions, how in how far they apply um, the convention they, they ratified. However, the, the whole concept of, of arbitration is that the state courts are not allowed anymore to materially evaluate the case. So as, as soon as you have this arbitral award, every country having ratified this convention must enforce uh, this court without being able to in any way materially again check uh, whether it was uh, whether everything was okay. So the, it's, it's a very narrow possibility to challenge the arbitral, arbitral award. And therefore, the process from our perspective is quite easy. You can uh, choose a Swiss or a Singapore uh, arbitration. If the issuer is not paying, you go to the Swiss uh, arbitrator and then he checks. Has it uh, been paid or not? You receive the arbitral award as an investor. And then in many jurisdictions, it's a quite easy and straightforward process then to enforce this title locally. And then you avoid having these very long procedures, which uh, certain countries uh, might have. Is that a new, I've, no, I've never heard of this uh this concept like wh what did you call it arbitrate uh, arbitration yes so it's um it's it comes from a uh, uh, trade law so the, it was introduced uh, in in trade law because if you have a very large uh, trade relations you usually want to avoid having a judge without any expertise uh, checking whether mm -hmm. the conditions have been fulfilled or not so um the the idea behind this is that you can uh, opt for kind of private judges which have the, the deep knowledge and expertise. And then if both parties agree in advance to use uh, such an arbitration model instead of the usual uh, jurisdiction, then this is legally recognized. And then there are uh, specific rules how you determine then the, this kind of private judge. And this private judgment is then also legally binding and has the same weight as a usual uh, uh, state uh, court decision. I like it. So 160 countries will approve or recognize the authority Precisely. of the yes. note without question. And then you give that to them and they say, hey, uh, this guy Joe over here owes this money. And then they pass it to the local Precisely. police branch and they investigate just like anything. Gotcha, gotcha. Yes. And I would imagine that a huge part in building all this is to discourage people from not paying as opposed to actually going and enforcing with guns the, you know, or batons, whatever people are using in different countries, of collecting money. Because collecting money yeah. is ugly, right? Yeah. Like, no, yeah, no. In a case yeah. where we had to yeah, do that. money yet. So, um. mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, I would imagine focusing on B2B tends to be mm -hmm. less of an issue than individual consumers. Mm. Um, yes. Do you intend to stay B2B for the foreseeable future? Is that really the focus long-term? I I can start and I'm happy to hand over also yeah. to, to sure, you. Sure, yes. That's um, <laughs> so I so as you said, we, we start to B2B and it's also uh we usually have very large businesses as uh, as customers. So we have uh, publicly listed companies, we also have a global bank. Um it's so so the more international a company the, the higher demand for a globally standardized instrument. So therefore, what we see is that, uh, that uh, we have a lot of 
very international companies using the instruments. Um, however, we especially now going to uh, public permissionless DLTs where it's a lot of peer to peer, not a lot of B2B. We of course also discuss uh, in, in nice use cases for this specific instrument in a peer to peer B2C cases. And I'm happy to hand over to you, Daniel. Yeah, so architecturally, just so yeah, go out, go ahead and ask before. Uh, I feel th- I was going to go on a tangent. So you tell me how how mm-hmm. how this works technically. If you own crypto and leave it on the exchange where you bought it, like Coinbase, that is a mistake. We've heard the news lately: exchanges closed, accounts frozen. We're learning the hard way that crypto on exchanges is not really in your control. So what can you do about it? Well, you can get a crypto wallet and control the crypto yourself. And that's why today's show is sponsored by ZenGo. These guys realize that storing Bitcoin and storing crypto yourself can be difficult. It's risky to keep private keys. They realized this and said there's got to be a better way. So they created a crypto wallet that is fully recoverable. So say goodbye to lost Bitcoins. And the security of this wallet is incredible. It's a hacker's worst nightmare. They use a three-factor authentication, including 3D biometrics, so no one can access your wallet except for you. And Zengo realizes that at different levels of the crypto journey, you have different needs. So they offer 27 support and have real people that are available to contact directly within the app. They have a bunch of different coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tezos, and more, and they have all sorts of NFTs available as well. So now for the first time, you can keep your crypto safe with the same tools that the big guys have used for years. Download Zengo, that's Z-E-N-G-O, and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's $20 back for your first purchase of $200 or more. Use code ATC and check out Zengo. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Yeah, so te- technically we're already uh, having like the architecture consider that it might be B2C. So um, so uh, from from a smart contract perspective, uh, like um, the way we represent um, companies is by, uh, through multi-signature wallets. And uh, the way we then identify them is um, through uh, kind of like a certificate. It's similar to an NFT, just the difference is that um, uh, the, the holder might not necessarily be able to transfer it. And uh, the issuer of the NFT is able to revoke it. So uh, we're kind of we're going to issue those certificates, and we're working uh, there potentially with a 
um, startup also called Cardinal, who's doing uh, certificates on Solana chain. And uh, uh, yeah, there you're, you're sending those identity certificates to to a public key, basically, and that can be um, a multisig representing a company. And then that certificate would also uh, contain the information being able to prove that it's a company. So we certified them. And uh, but it could also be just a public key of a of a wallet. It could be my wallet. And then so architecturally, we're kind of already looking forward to, uh, or we're looking ahead to have it in a way where we could also have people hold hold the notes as well. And I think there's actually uh, quite in, um, there's potential here for um, for notes in a way where it's just it's so simple um, as like a debt instrument. And uh, you could just be, um, if you if you want to get an uncollateralized loan, it might be one of the mo- most simple legal like contracts you can get into. So there might be potential here to have like maybe onboard some sort of bank uh, issuing issuing just normal credits to buy a car to to uh, yeah uh, you and me or whoever. Yeah, well, I, I'm even thinking. I I feel like one huge. Uh, uh, consumer to consumer or, uh, you know, consumer product yeah, that also, that happens, yeah. is like escrow. So I want to, there's a friend of mine who's an architect in Hong Kong. And he, he, I remember he called me about a year ago and he said, I, I struggle so much with buying and selling things across countries because I don't know if people are going to be able to pay or not. And if I do a service, you know, especially for oh, yeah. services, businesses, you tend, you know, the way that we tend to work yeah. is you do the service first and then people pay you. And if you do the service and no one pays you, well, it's a huge, you know, it's a huge pain. So I I could see escrow and even for simple transactions, Mm -hmm. this is what PayPal and eBay were all about, right? PayPal had the ability to enforce the payment collection and eBay was the transaction mechanism and their whole story of intertwining together and splitting apart. But it shows you how important it is to the buying and selling of goods and services to have the the trust that you're going to pay me after I give you the goods or give you the services. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it might even it might even be C to C, like you said. So you could just be uh, between like somebody who holds a lot of Bitcoin, being like, "Yeah, I guess for like a five percent rate, I'll give it to my friend, and I have something in my hand. So if he like uh, runs away or um, yeah doesn't doesn't respond to my emails, I have something in my hands to to be able to go after him. So even there, you can get like this legal security for somebody you want to give your money, but don't 100% trust potentially. Mm. So. And, and, uh, and I think this, this escrow example is also very nice because uh, there yeah. we can really automate a lot by using smart contracts. So I, th- I think it's a, it's a very good example, yes. Are, are there any edge cases that you've seen where I'm picturing if I'm you know head of uh, legal inside of a 200-person company and I have the key, right? I have it maybe on a USB drive or on my laptop and I'm authorizing the, the certification of the company and I'm saying, yes, I'll pay you $100,000 to do the service. Okay, well, this guy gets fired, and then he goes home, and he just brings the USB, cable, USB and he's got the key mm-hmm. on, his, on his phone. Uh, how do you sort of yep. think about that? Yeah, because I'm sure those edge cases yeah, will happen. A, yeah. so, so what we first in general do is we identify all the users, and then as a company, you define who is the, the authorized signer. We then check whether those people are really uh, authorized to sign on behalf of the company. And then 
in regard to the, the key management, as Daniel described before, we are now uh, creating quite a sophisticated model with uh, company uh, corporate accounts. And then you have uh, individual signers with their respective uh, private keys. You also have an admin, which is then uh, able to define and also manage uh, all the designers. Um, we have not yet had any constellation where then a signer has misused uh, his signing possibility. Um, I think it's also the risk is a bit lower because we're dealing not with kind of native tokens as digital assets, we're dealing with securities. And if uh, then someone issues uh, this security and he might not be authorized to do so, you still have one or the other legal uh, possibility to then challenge uh, the validity of the instrument. So I think therefore the, the risk is slightly lower, but there is a risk and we have to do everything in order to ensure that uh, the notes are legally valid. Mm. Yeah, I, I was going to say, we do. so we haven't had the case yet, but we are thinking about it. So this is also like the way we um, conceptualize the, the, the multi-sig, usually you have a 4i principle. So um, uh, if you issue an e-note, you usually have two people sign and not just one. And uh, so... Or you could ha even potentially you could have three out of uh, twenty people who have to sign to make the Z-node happen. Um, so we are thinking about this. We, we will start off on Solana with just a conventional multisig, but we're planning to enhance the functionality of that uh, significantly to 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 um, like basically offer a corporate wallet where there can be administrators. You can uh, have functionality of like kicking out somebody or um, yeah, etc. Mm. Uh, things like that that might uh, be more suited for for a corporate environment versus yeah. And what did Solana offer? Uh, why, why choose Solana and mm -hmm. and what does where is Solana today and their capability of uh, enabling you to build out this product? That's uh, the very good question. So I will now relax for the next uh, five minutes. <laughs> uh, Daniel will, will explain and and we we we. <laughs> It is a question which comes up from time to time, um, also because it's not the ob might not be the obvious choice yet, because Ethereum is uh, still maybe more used, uh, specifically in regard to uh, financing constellations. But um, Daniel, please explain why we chose Solana. Uh, yeah, so maybe just as a bit of context, we started off with Hyperledger Fabric and we had a private ledger. And uh, kind of looking into having public custody, um, given kind of the constraints we have run into, that it's basically impossible in a private ledger to really prove that the asset exists. And uh, so looking into the public ledger, I, w I mean, I was familiar with Ethereum and all that for, for years now. Um, but really coming up with all the alternatives, uh, did, a bunch of, yeah, did a bunch of research and just uh, found that the the vision and the architecture of Solana really promises to scale a lot better than uh, than any of the 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 EVM kind of um, chains out there. And uh, I could I don't know how technical you wanna you wanna get on this, but well, first tell me wh um, why uh, why is scaling is such an important aspect? Because it seems to me like you're not a high transaction that. Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, for for scaling, there's also um, uh, um, it's just also the user experience of like immediate response. So if you come from web th web two, you you have a website and you use it and you click and something happens immediately. And like if you compare that to Ethereum, you might wait 
I don't know, up to seven minutes to have like a hundred percent confidence in that transaction happening. And, uh, of course, with other chains, that is also, um, um, that is also solved. If you, if you have a higher block frequency and you pr- proof of stake and other optimizations, you can get there. Um, but just, um, from the way, uh, um, yeah, why scaling is important, maybe first is, the, um, yeah, f- first thing is that the, the, the quick response time. Um, so if it's a high, like, high throughput um, blockchain, the response time will be uh, will be nice. So the, the user experience will be nice. But also, um, like the e-notes, the kind of low volume e-note that we're doing now is just kind of like a first step. And if you think about what you can do uh, later on, and especially on Solana, where they have, um, I don't know if you know about the project, Project Zero, um, where you have a centralized order book. And... Um, uh, we were looking before we came to the public ledger for like order book systems to be to be able to um, like accommodate uh, secondary markets. And uh, now with Solana, you have the option to build like with the high throughput, you're able to build like a bid ask order book system. This is just technically not possible with something like Ethereum. So there you have to have like a liquidity pool, which in the case of an e-note, doesn't make any sense. There, there is no liquidity. Like there's one e-note, um, or maybe twenty, but there's you cannot really calculate a liquidity pool as such. So, um, there you would have to have an order book for like the return rate that you would want to get into, or something like that. So, uh, so if that's just one of the next logical steps we might get into, and uh, can I just, pause you right there? Or, so in in, yeah, sure. in the case of uh, Ethereum, when you say Ethereum has liquidity pool, Solana has the capability to do the bid ask. Is that because uh, Ethereum is thinking more in their architectural design of transactions? And in the case of an e-note, when I'm creating an e-note, there is no transaction to start with. So there needs not be any liquidity to have that issue. No, no, there, there, there are transactions. Um, or um, it depends on which definition of transactions yeah, so I'm true. talking on chain transactions that there is with with the note on Solana, um, and, or, or maybe. Well, I'm thinking. I'm exactly. thinking when I when I create the note and put it on chain, uh, there is no transaction mm-hmm. there, right? It's just two two certificate two addresses or wallets or people certifying that they agree to this arrangement, this contract, this e note. No, no, there is a transaction. So we emit. We emit a. Uh, technically, we emit a mint on Solana. We emit uh, with the, the the metadata is instantiated, and we have this enode manager instantiated that it's now managing state. And uh, so those are those are on chain transactions that are happening. So you are every time you emit a, an enode, every time you transfer it, every time you settle it, um, all those things they will they will uh, come with a on chain transaction. Mm. Got it. And you usually also has have. Uh, Especially in a, in a corporate finance constellation, you also have uh, money or liquidity flowing. So I'm as an issuer, I issue an eno to you, and you then pay me a certain amount of, for example, stable coins. Um, I, I think from my perspective, I see three reasons why we chose Solana. So first of all, as Daniel said, it's a very scalable uh, infrastructure. It's uh, fast. You have low uh, transaction fees. Then secondly. Um, there are a lot of NFT projects and our e-notes, if uh, we um, 
consider the individual e-notes, there also have uh, a lot of similarities to NFTs. So it's an individual e-note, a certain metadata. Um, of course, it's a, it's a financing instrument and not any type of a, of a picture, which is a tokenized in NFT form, but nonetheless technical uh, similarities. And then thirdly, um, it's a quickly growing ecosystem. And on Solana, we are also first movers uh, in regard to what we build, uh, a debt infrastructure, and then uh, also the possibilities uh, to, to steer how financing instruments look like. So from our perspective, or it's, it's also a good positioning for us as a company. So it sounds like and better, faster, you get to play with NFTs and you're a big fish in a small pond. <laughs> Yes, it it is. Uh, to, it, it, that's also a part of the um, part of the reflection on the other side. Nonetheless, uh, we do not see us as a as a just a Solana company or a company on top of Solana. So our vision in regard to our debt infrastructure is that we are uh, modular, as in regard to the underlying DLT. So our um, main goal is that our users can then choose uh, which DLT should it be. Do I want to have the instrument registered on Solana? Do I prefer Ethereum? Do I prefer a private uh, ledger because I really want a full anonymity and pseudo-anonymity is not sufficient? Or do I want to have it registered on the this old, maybe boring, legacy uh, financial market infrastructures because I have some additional regulatory requirements and then I can opt for this? And we provide this one modular, integrable eNote engine and you can define the terms, all the variables, and the underlying infrastructure where it should be stored. Daniel, why is Ethereum so slow and expensive right now? And is there a, a hope, do you think technically, uh, that there's a significant chance that things will be resolved to the point where it'll be, ver- we'll just call it very fast and reasonably ch- cheap to send to move uh, Ether around? I think to move Ether around, it will be um, uh, reasonably cheap uh, as soon as ETH2 comes out. I mean, um, we've been hearing this for years now, but I'm sure that will eventually happen. Uh, I mean, the the main reason it's so expensive is because there's a a lot of load uh, on the network and with proof of work um, that just... uh, And uh, uh, with proof of work and also uh, the bidding basically for transaction costs. So if you have a high uh, high throughput of transactions and you're bidding for um, basically your transaction going through as quickly as possible, you have to pay more, uh, demand being high, and also the token price being high. So if Ether was $1, this wouldn't be as much of a problem. Um, but just the demand for transaction throughput and also basically Ethereum just being so valuable makes it just very expensive. And mm. uh, one of the steps they can do is... Uh, I mean, uh, everyone sells the Ethereum and then it's going to be super cheap, but that's not going to happen. So you probably have to uh, increase throughput. And um, uh, and uh, they're attempting to do this. Uh, one, one of them is going to be proof of stake, which is going to improve a lot. Uh, I think you probably have discussed this in, our, in uh, different scenarios, so I'm not going to go into it too much. Um, but also sharding. And sharding is basically going to uh, try and separate the network into yeah multiple shards, so separate states, so it can run in parallel. And I think this is really one of the most interesting distinguishing factors of why Solana is so uh, powerful, 
um, and the vision of Solana because it's uh, it's looking to build one major, really high throughput state machine um, that is just one state machine and it's not compartmentalized into different shards. And this gives you the option. So if you if you think about how you would want to build an order book on Ethereum, if there's like right now it's impossible because there's not enough throughput. But once there's shards, it's not it's not possible because then you have to synchronize the shards. So in in both cases, you couldn't have really have a centralized order book as such. Now in Solana, you just have this really low level, highly uh, optimized um, blockchain that just is going to be able to throughput potentially 700,000 transactions a second, which is, I think, what the NASDAQ is doing at the moment. And and one of the reasons it can do that is because it has um, this account structure. Well, well, uh, with the Ethereum smart contracts, I'm sure you're aware, um, like uh, it it has both the code and the state basically in the same contract. So state is saved in the contract as well. And basically, if you want to um, move like USDC from one person to another, you would just call the contract, change the state where it says the owner now has 50 USDC less and the other one has 50 USDC more. Now, if Stefan wants to also do a transaction when I'm doing one, he has to wait until I've done mine. Otherwise, we have a conflict. Now, you can also combat this with like I think optimistic rollups and stuff like that, but that's also just a hack on top. So, uh, but having this serialized uh, way to go through this contract where you save the state in this program, this slows you down by just having serial transactions. Mm-hmm. In Solana, you have to program separate and you have separate account inputs where the state is stored. And this, as long as you don't touch the same data, with the program, you can call this program as many times in parallel as you want. So the smart contract can be called, it, it will read data, as long as the other transaction doesn't touch the same data, those transactions will be processed in the same time. And uh, that seems to me to be a much more elegant solution to like parallelization than, than sharding is. Um, so that's just why fundamentally, I think it will, in the long term, scale better than than any of the EVM solutions. And, and do you think of it as a, as, a, uh, as a better or worse for scaling? Or do you think that there'll be a uh, significant, there'll be a, uh, almost like a competitive advantage of either uh, layer where the Ethereum and Solana are, they're, they're catering to different use cases, like need people who are sending money back and forth very quickly and need that. Like people, we're, we're complex you know, animals, right? We do all sorts of things and build all sorts of businesses. Do you think that's how it kind of plays out as opposed to the storyline of like, they're competing for who's going to win and one's going to win and they're just going to collectively absorb 99% of the market share? I'm sure there's going to be like um, fighting for mindshare and for for, uh, people. I don't think one of them's going to, uh, I mean, maybe one of them is going to die out, you know, but I don't think Ethereum is going to die because Solana is here. I mean, it's mm-hmm. an option, but I don't think it's going to happen. They're just uh, two different um, approaches of one of of which one I think will just in the long term have just a fundamental architecture to better scale. And I think Ethereum will probably still have its use cases, just given that it has this huge ecosystem that it's built now, and as has Bitcoin. I mean, if you compare Bitcoin to Ethereum, you would also think, 
what's the purpose of Bitcoin other than like this super hard storage of value kind of uh, angle. Um, so as Bitcoin exists, I think Ethereum will still have his uh, reason to exist and it will also have massive improvements that will make it better. But still, uh, yeah, just mm. from a fundamental, like basic architecture, I think uh, Solana just has the, the better base to, yeah. to build off of. Mm. Yeah, and, and today, I think, uh, as we sit here today recording, Ethereum is 10 times the, the market cap uh, of Solana. And I, I tend to think that mm. one of the reasons for that is when people who are not spending their time analyzing projects, crypto projects or currencies, this is how they think. They think, hey, hey, Daniel, wh- where should I put my money? I want to put some of my money in crypto. What do you think? And you, uh, you know, you're not a good example because you're too smart. But say, you know, my cousin Jeff, he's like, hey, Jeff, where should I put my money? Jeff knows a little bit about crypto. Oh, put it in like Bitcoin, Ethereum. Um, you know, these are the big ones. And so that's about as far as people get. They maybe lay, they rattle off three names, but they're not going to rattle off five names. You know, if you're in a bar or a restaurant, someone asks you wh- where to put your money in, in crypto, you're probably going to say, as a relatively simple crypto investor, Bitcoin, Ethereum, because those are just the two dominant currencies. Mm-hmm. It's like, you ever hear the expression, you can't go wrong for betting on Intel or IBM? It's like, if you just pick the the big yeah, one in the room, it, it can't be bad advice. But I think that also could be bad advice because it's not well thought yeah. out. Stefan, what do you think? I mean, and, yeah, another advantage, obviously, it's also that uh, because it's just uh, here for a longer time, you have a lot of different standards uh, on DDLT, which are already... Um, established. So specifically on Ethereum, you in the meanwhile have a couple of uh, security token standards. And uh, on Solana, we at the moment have none for a kind of an instrument like ours. And then also in regard to the ecosystem, obviously in Ethereum, we have a yeah, much more custody providers, you have much more wallets, you have much more experience. So therefore, I think that's an advantage. And you have also a lot of uh, companies and other players with a stake in the DLT itself. Um, I personally, I wonder how this shift to proof of stake will work out uh, once it's then fully, fully done. Um, I remember myself having written in my PhD dissertations, I think in 2017, that it's uh, that the, the shift to proof of stake is just before. And then it uh, went back and back and back. Um, but it is a, so high tricky. It, it is a tricky thing, precisely. It's a, it's a risk. And I mean, proof of work is more secure than proof of stake, from my perspective. And uh, especially once you have, if you already come from uh, proof of work, and if you then afterwards want to change it to proof of stake, that's a challenge for sure. It's just if you, if you, if you mess it up now with Ethereum and you go uh, like something in transition, transition to a different consensus algorithm has gone wrong and you have like how many billions of value locked up there i mean i would also be pushing i mean i'd be nervous to put that launch date soon so totally understandable to that has been pushed back year and year and year after yeah Yeah. Yeah. and uh, you also have a a minor industry earning money from uh, mining in the proof of uh, proof of work uh, mechanism so there are also a lot of interests not to shift Yeah. yeah that's a good point so it's not that easy. Yeah. But admittedly, I, I just wanted to, to touch on, um, so researching these these blockchains, I mean, even having spent like weeks and months uh, trying to research which, which kind of we're going to go into, 
from our perspective, Solana is still like like a an educated bet. Like it, you cannot reasonably expect anyone to go through two hundred crypto projects and be like uh, evaluated so perfectly that you would have a hundred percent certainty that this is the right project. Um, so even even if you do the research, it's just, uh, it's hard to be a hundred percent confident uh, in uh, in a decision if you haven't looked into them all deeply, and it's just impossible to do to to do that. Well, do you feel like uh, I, I would think that part of your criteria would be when assessing what chain to build on? You're thinking, okay, it has to be one of the top you know, 50 chains, like there's yeah. a certain kind of a <laughs> yeah. ROI you get by having more. There's a involved. cutoff. Right, yeah. right, right. So I don't I mean, you didn't go and I hope yeah. you didn't in, investigate 200. No, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> we got this one guy down in Australia is working on a blockchain. You should go uh, <laughs> and build on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what are other big? Uh, yeah, obviously. But still, oh, oh, go, go ahead. What are you going to say? No, 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 go ahead. What were other big um, uh, technical design or decisions that you had to make? Certainly choosing the chain to build on. Are there other, Mm. uh, tell me what wasn't obvious? What did you guys really ponder over or think carefully about before building? Hmm. Maybe maybe we can start with the signature. Sure. But this, uh, in in the current Implementation built on Hyperledger Fabric. We also integrate the so-called qualified electronic signatures, which is a, a regulated equivalent of a handwritten signatures. It works more or less like a wallet, but uh, it's uh, something which is regulated, which is based on a, on a KYC process, and which uh, the European Union, uh, um, yeah, um, qualifies as an equivalent um, and as a legally binding uh, method of signing. And uh, so the one of the first questions was whether we also should use this on a public permissionless DLT. Um, and then we opted for just uh, having wallets. So it's to, so you're then legally signing the instrument just by using your wallet. And there's no additional layer of a kind of a docu signish, um, signature process. And then the, the second question was, uh, how far are users able to independently control the e-notes? And we know there are a lot of uh, custody providers out there. Um, the the question we, we had is in how far is an institutional investor or business able to directly control private keys? And uh, here uh, the hypothesis is that based on the new implementation we have built that uh, many parties will be able all the more as uh, the instruments are different to other forms of uh, digital assets. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think here this, this was uh, one of the, the main, um, yeah, main design choices. There, there is another like technical aspect um, where it might actually speak to other, some of the other blockchains. So for example, um, we, we're going to start off where it's the, the, the e-note is more like not anonymous student student mm. pseudonym pseudonymous pseudo pseudo anonymous yeah pseudo anonymous yeah it's always so, such a hard um, word to pronounce yeah. <laughs> it, it is difficult <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so we're, we'll start off with that but obviously there's a kind of um a problem with people giving away their um their transaction information of how mm. like uh what is their rate so this could be a competitive advantage if you mm-hmm. don't give it to the public so 
if I get 3% from Credit Suisse or whoever, uh, that might not be something I want to give to my competitors as information. So they would also be able to give get 3%. So um, one of the aspects uh, that that has already been... Uh, um, that is interesting there is like all the zero zero knowledge proof stuff that is um, um, I, I would say solved better on on other chains so a lot of things have been done on like ethereum and uh, uh, what was it called um, polygon where you can have uh, like zero knowledge proofs and basically do transactions more or less anonymously um, and but there we we're quite certain that there there will be uh if the if the chain is basically um uh turn complete um eventually it will have the functionality of like zero knowledge proofs and can be implemented and we're also going to uh, put development effort into kind of these obfuscation mechanisms uh to to anonymize transactions in that way but if the if the chain scales and uh, the user experience is the best it can be. Um, the the obfuscation mechanisms can be added on top later on. So this was one of the aspects that was also taken into consideration. But we just decided that the nice snappy user experience right now would be uh, more important and also honestly less complicated, obviously, to implement it without all the zero knowledge proof stuff. So as it is a later step anyway, um, and. Uh, um, kind of going for the snappy first uh, nice user experience initially and then add kind of anonymous uh, transactions later on. Um, uh, we're convinced that we can also do that uh, on Solana or potentially also work on another chain where uh, privacy is uh, uh, is done better, And but you might just take into account that you might pay a bit more or the transaction will be a bit slower. So that's also an option. Yeah, Precisely. That's a that's a very good point. And uh, what users always can do is they can opt for a private DLT. So or they can also opt for the uh, legacy financial market infrastructure. So if uh, you want to have full anonymity, then you have the possibility to choose uh, those ledgers. If you're choosing a Solana, then it's uh, pseudo anonymous at the moment. And the challenge is uh, obviously the data is to be processable by smart contracts in order to do DVP, etc. So it must be uh, readable, processable um, by those programs. On the other side, as Daniel said, obviously, especially large businesses, they do not like having uh, financing, financial details readable, especially not the interest uh, rates. Mm, got it. Yeah, that makes sense. But I, I, like you, you could imagine like having a settlement way where you, where you have like a zero knowledge proof of having done this payment to the recipient, and then you would uh, commit that to the to the smart contract, and then it will verify the proof. And if that proof is valid, then you will kind of have it settled. So this is also mm-hmm. some something to mm. to look into in the, in, in the future. What we're looking into. Yeah. And you guys have raised uh, seven million. Is the it, tell me if that's that's right, right? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, the, around six and a half million. And the company is established as a typical like you know you're not a token. You're a C Corp or LLC or European yes, structure. Yes, that's yeah, precisely. It's a limited liability uh, company in Switzerland. We have an, uh, a subsidiary in the UK, uh, one in uh, Germany, in Berlin, and then two subsidiaries, uh, one in Hong Kong and one in Singapore. But it's still a traditional company. We have uh, equity, mm-hmm. and we do not yet have a 
tokenized uh, revenue model or uh, or fee model. Is there any advantage considering like w- w- why? Yeah, um, we're we're considering doing this. It's also because um, in the past we have been using a, a private ledger, and with the private ledger, it's just uh, that you do not have any possibility to do a, a token based uh, revenue model. However, now moving to public permissionless DLTs, we have more we had more possibilities to do so. so. But it's open at the moment whether we do this or not. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. I could maybe expand a little bit on this. So um, uh, obviously, we also have to to earn money somewhere. So one of the the ways we would earn money is by um, kind of being the what we call the approval authority. And uh, we would um, how we're building it now is kind of the 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 enote as a public infrastructure. So you could just without FQX as a middleman, you can just go and issue a promissory note. and uh, you could do it with Stefan, for example, and we'll, we will not hear of that and we will not see it. And But the downside is, of course, that you will not know who you guys are or you have no proof of that. Or you will also not know that the, the legal weight of this promissory note is actually what you think it is. So we're kind of a service layer on top where we are, for one where uh, like the the optional whitelisting authority, but also the approval authority, where we say, okay, we're giving like a stamp of approval, saying, yeah, uh, if you do if you sign this, uh, you can legally enforce this in a court of law, and we're kind of guaranteeing for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, as the approval authority, we would all uh, probably in, in some of the transactions to, uh, on the issuance that would make the most sense. Um, we would uh, potentially only approve transactions that also incorporate a, p- a payment to us, right? So we would have like some basis points. We would expect that this is put in escrow, and uh, we would then, mm-hmm. uh, once it's issued, we would uh, approve it, and then that will flow into to into our wallet. But but here you could see that this might uh, incentivize having like an FKX token, where then. Uh, the fees might be slightly less expensive, or something, something uh, of that sort. I see. Hasn't been fleshed out quite, quite like that yet. But uh, we could go in uh, in, a, in a direction like that too. Mm. This also shows one of our challenges we have. So the the Enode instrument is so standardized and so generic. You can use it in so many different um, financing constellations, and so many very different parties can use it. So we have uh, on the customer side from a, a global bank to publicly listed corporations to the other side of the spectrum, uh, 
DLT uh, native crypto financial service providers. We had a transaction with one uh, renowned crypto foundations. So the spectrum is extremely broad. And therefore, also the the experience, the knowledge um, is is very different. And uh, for this crypto segment, of course, that's very easy. We could just define will you pay in uh, either Sol token or we issue our own our own uh, FKX tokens. That's absolutely no brainer. On the other side, for a global bank or a, a listed company, it's a, a different story. So they're much more used to paying fiat by their usual wire transfer mm. method. I got three more questions for you guys. Uh, first one's a layup. Stefan, why is it called FQX.ch? It doesn't quite roll off the tongue. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Mike. Uh, I, I would have been disappointed if you do not ask why we have this um, kind of not intuitive uh, name. So um, the negotiable instrument was invented by the Chinese around uh, from ranging 600 uh, to 700 uh, AD. And uh, the first, uh, so what China invented is a kind of a flying money. And this flying money, they called uh, Fei Qian. And in Pinmin letters, it's F, uh, Fei Qian. So with F-E-I-Q-I-A-N. And therefore we took the F and the Q and then added an X for exchange. Ah. So that's the would not have guessed that. That's the story. Um, on yeah, <laughs> <laughs> on, I mean it's it's we we agree it's not the most intuitive uh, name uh, we <laughs> we selected. We also discussed uh, a couple of times uh, a rebranding, but then we got so successful, and then the more successful you are, the the more difficult it is uh, to do a rebranding. <laughs> so um, hey, look at look, look at Facebook. They rebranded. <laughs> they can do it. Anyone can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but we'll said, if you're, I said if you're very successful, then uh, All right. then uh, you cannot. Second you know. question: Do you think that um, mm-hmm. uh, these kind of financial instruments, uh, well, you could even just take blockchain and crypto, generally speaking, but more specifically for B two B and banking applications, uh, does it make it so that sanctions right now, Ukraine and, and Russia are battling it out? Uh, the U.S. and Western countries just enacted a ton of sanctions, which to put pressure on mm. Russia, they can do that because we have a very centralized monetary system and banking system. Uh, is this is this movement towards decentralized uh, money movement? Would that make the power that mm. these countries and in particular, maybe the West, but just generally countries have? Uh, would it decrease their ability to sanction? And would that, in the future, would that mm. become less of a uh, card that they could play? Mm. I, I would say partly. I mean, what DLT and tokens provide is the possibility to directly control assets in a very easy form. And therefore, this decreases the possibilities of a state to to uh, take control. On the other side, as a state, you can still control the gates between crypto and fiat. Right. And that's uh, how it works now. So at the gates, you have an AML control, you have a sanctions control. So you can, of course, hold your um, crypto or your Bitcoin. But as soon as you want to convert this uh, to fiat, then uh, you might have an issue. And uh, so as long as we are not able yet to pay everything in life by using crypto, you still are forced to once go to such a gate. 
And I think this is uh, where uh, state yeah. at the moment um, puts, puts... Yeah, it may even expedite this. It may speed up the the adoption of crypto-related projects oh, in for Russia. Sure, yeah. Because it's like, it, th- it, these it, people these people aren't involved in yeah, war. Yeah. They don't they don't care. They don't want to be... So sure. they just yeah. want to be able to trade and do business. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think it's um, there's a little caveat here. So I think if you if you extrapolate further in the future, I think Stefan briefly touched on it. If you, so I think currently uh, with with blockchain, it's actually easier like to to trace um, funds than it uh, than it is in the real world. Like in the real world, you can wash it through like a business or, mm. but. Um, on the chain, it's kind of like you, you can just decide, okay, I'm like refusing any transactions that went through a mixer or a zero, uh, zero knowledge proof kind of token um, construct, or or I just I just track funds that came from these three public keys, and then you're just those funds are like basically dead. So it's it's it's, it's very easy to track blockchain assets at the moment. Um, as long as they have to leave the blockchain. So if you if you think that people then at some point maybe just value on-chain tokens and you can just pay like a co- like you can actually start paying things with like uh, blockchain assets. I don't know if you've seen Solana pay, but it's basically just you scan a QR code and you send USDC over in like 2 seconds for like no fee whatsoever. If that becomes more of the norm, then at that point um, uh, it might become uh, more difficult if you then can send it through zero knowledge proof kind of uh, uh, mixer uh, mixer tokens that will then uh, obfuscate, and you never have to go and leave on an exit ramp like Binance or whatever. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and also as companies start paying people their paychecks in crypto, mm, then you yeah. the the on and yeah. off ramp becomes less relevant. Um, last question. This is yep. probably pointed more at Stefan, but how did you get the Swiss stock exchange to invest in your company? Given that you guys are relatively small, raised six and a half million, only mm-hmm. a few years old. What do you do? Is this, do you knock on their doors and give them the pitch or is there some story behind that? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so first of all, it's, it's the VC arm of the Swiss okay. stock exchange. So they're convinced that, uh, we are a good investment, um, I think our strength as a company is that we have, we combine a lot of deep legal expertise with a lot of deep tech and DLT expertise. And, uh, we actually started with, uh, three quarters of the team being lawyers. And then we had very, very strong, um, additional team members, especially Daniel. And, uh, I think this combination makes us unique and also the experience nonetheless with uh, more traditional financial market infrastructures. And so this segment legal financial market infrastructures and DLT, this is uh, something we can uh, cover very well. And then uh, also we have been uh, backed by one of the leading European uh, tech VCs. And uh, this combination then also convinced uh, the Swiss Stock Exchange. And we have now an excellent partnership with their subsidiary. Daniel mentioned it uh, briefly. They're based on uh, Corda. And uh, at least for a financial market infrastructure, they've built something which is uh, much more efficient than the the legacy systems. So we have a a very promising uh, collaboration model together. Well, congrats on all the progress, guys. Sounds like you got a well-balanced team of a ton of lawyers and some smart people led by Daniel. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, precisely. <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, it's astonishing that we've uh, been able to yeah. create something productive, no, I, like, given the many lawyers give, we have in the. I give in the all the team. credit to engineers. I can say this uh, being a, a lawyer by myself. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I totally empathize with that. Um, but yeah, seriously, guys, keep doing what you're doing, keep crushing it, and thank you for jumping on today and sharing your time. I appreciate it. Is there anything you wanted to throw out there? Are you guys writing publicly? Are you on social media? Any call to action you wanted to throw out? Uh, certainly, I'm sure your company is on social media. Uh, FQX.CN is the site. But yeah. Precisely. Uh, Enotes. Sorry. Enotes.tech. Um, so visit us on Enotes.tech. We are uh, active uh, on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And otherwise, if you have any, if you want to further discuss with us, we're very happy to do so. All right. Onward and upward, guys. Take care. Thanks a lot, Mike. It's our pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you.